Well, I'm sure you could never imagine something written by David, myself, Tyler, and Ralph being lengthy and wordy at all. I can't picture that. Just uh, astounding. But David, thanks for that. I appreciate your work and leadership as the uh, co-moderator. Some of you, when you hear that stuff, you just hear like buzzwords, buzz, 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 you know, and every generation, every industry has its own buzzwords, uh, phrases, little sound bites that people use all the time. But if you poke into them a little bit, you think, what in the world does that actually mean? So you'll find them, the place I find them a lot is actually people put these on their resumes or their LinkedIn profiles, right? So things like, I'm a proactive team player who works at adding value to disruptive innovations as I push the envelope to optimize holistic and synergistic thinking across platforms while advancing gluten-free, all-natural, non-GMO snack room environments. Like, what does that person even do with their time? I don't know. But there's a lot of buzzwords in our world today, and I would suggest that one of them is actually authenticity. How would you define authenticity? There's no wrong answer, just shout it out. What, what does it mean to be authentic? What's authenticity? Honest, yep, what else? Transparent, what else? Vulnerable, what else? True, true to what or to who? Okay, true to God, yeah. True to who you are. So already we've kind of collected and amassed that there's a different way of defining even that same word authenticity or what it means to be authentic. I would suggest that in evangelical culture or subculture, we have a ton of buzzwords. Some of them, nobody knows what they mean, but they continue to use them all of the time. One of those words, I think, is actually the word community. How would you define community? Like, what does it actually mean? What do we mean when we use the word community? What do we not mean when we use the word community? Well, this morning we're going to look into uh, the scriptures and we're going to look at how we define and shape that a little bit. As we uh, put together, this is our last message in our teaching series in September and October called Four Significant Stones. And in this series, each stone has represented something of a building block for community, a building block for the church that is being shaped by God. And so each stone has represented something, and today we're going to explore what the Bible says about what it means to live together in community or as a family, another uh, metaphor or another word. What does it look like to live together in this family or this community called the church in a way that is authentic, but in a way that's defined and shaped by the design and invitation of the Holy Spirit. So if the question is, how do you define community? It means a little bit something different in different situations, doesn't it? A little bit like authenticity does. So let me show you a few ways that we actually use this word here in Jericho that probably actually even might add some confusion because we use it in multiple ways. So for example, in one place we use it is in the name of the church. We are Jericho Ridge Community Church. Now, what does that actually mean when we put the word community in our name? Well, it probably means a number of things. At least to me, it means a number of things. It means we are formed into a community 
but also we're here for our community. We're not sectarian, so we're not just about uh, people can come only if they're like us, right? We, some churches put a denominational label in their name and there's nothing good nor bad about that particularly. Some of the friends that I have that are not people of faith believe that they can't then go to that church if it has a label on it. So at Jericho, we chose to use the word community to describe both a posture, a geography, all kinds of things are actually embedded in that. So that one word, Jericho Ridge Community Church, we're saying at least three things in that. We're saying that's our composition, we are a community. We're saying that's our geography, we're in a community. And also that's our posture, we exist for the community. Just by putting that one word in our name. And then we use it in our core values, but we use it differently in our core values, just to keep you on your toes. And we actually use the word and we preface it in our core values, we put the word authentic in front of the word community. And in our core values, we say this, God exists in community and models for us what it means to be both vitally connected with him and interdependent with each other. We desire relationships with one another that are transparent, supportive, encouraging, and rooted in a desire to love as we have been loved by God. So in our core value, when we say authentic community, First of all, that's really long, and that's one of the things that David was talking about. We're working to actually put that into a shorter, more memorable phrase, and then begin to ask the question, like, how would we know if we were actually accomplishing that? What would that actually look like? Because we describe it. We take a couple sentences to describe it, but even then, the definition, I think, needs a little bit more work to try and clearly communicate. What we seem to be after here is to talk about the relational tone in the church. So already, just by in our name and in our core values, we've used the word community in at least four different ways to mean four different things. So we can see how we get a little bit confused when we use the word community in a discussion with somebody, and we might be meaning one of those things, and the other person might be interpreting it in a completely different way. And that's all right. So we're going to look into the New Testament book of Romans this morning to answer the question, what type of community do we want to be and build and become here at Jericho? Like, what are the characteristics of our community? What would it look like to describe and define that a little bit more precisely? In his excellent book, uh, The Safest Place on Earth, Christian psychologist and author Dr. Larry Crabb suggests that to do a better job, we might want to put the word spiritual in front of the word community. And because that would be a primary modifier, he says this, the church is a community of people on a journey. We're on a journey to God. It's a spiritual community full of broken people who turn their chairs towards each other. In this year at Jericho, we're emphasizing from rows like this to circles and we have an expectation that there'd be a higher level of engagement in community, meaning outside of the context of Sunday mornings. It says that turn their chairs toward each other because they know they can't make it alone. These broken people journey together with their wounds, their worries, and their washouts visible, but they're able to see beyond the brokenness to something alive and good and something whole. 
Larry Crabb has actually written four books on what the church could look like as a spiritual community. And I highly commend them to you. I've got a couple of them here today. And if you want to borrow them, you can just come and uh, pester me afterwards. This one is the safest place on earth. It's a, it's a good read if you want to borrow that one. You'd be very welcome to it. I put my name in it, so remind me to take a picture of you with the book, and then that, remember, I remember who I lended it to, loaned it to. Uh, but this morning, we're actually going to look at Romans chapter 15. And we see in Romans chapter 15 characteristics laid out for us of a spiritual community. Five descriptors or phrases that anchor for us who we're to be and who we are to become if we live together in God's family, the church. And I'll be reading from uh, Romans 15, uh, verses 1 to 13, and verses 1 to 7 will come up on the screens, and uh, then you'll want to follow along in your Bible or your phone to uh, take us through to verse 13. So Romans 15, verse 1, says this, We who are strong must be considerate of those we are sensitive, who are sensitive about these things like this. He's talking about people who have different opinions about things within the life of a community. He says, we must not just please ourselves. We should help others to do what is right. We should build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and give us encouragement as we wait patiently for God's many promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives us patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember, Christ came as a servant to the Jews so that God is true to his promises that he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. And this is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it's written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you peoples of the earth. And in another place, the prophet Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles, and they will place their hope in him. Then he finishes with this. I pray that God, who is the source of hope, will fill you in your community with joy and with peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your Bible says at the beginning of chapter 15. Some Bibles put little headings in there. Mine says, living to please others at the topic section. And Paul, in this section of the book of Romans, is speaking about the high challenge and complexity of living together in a faith community. He's writing here to a specific church in the city of Rome, and they're wrestling with this tension of diversity. And how do they take people who have Jewish culture and backgrounds, so people who are Gentiles, who are non-Jews, and actually live together 
and understand what that means. And the diversity between them is so stark and so complex, it's causing a lot of tension. And so the very first thing that he says to them in verse 1 of chapter 15 is actually almost offensive to our modern sensibilities. For he's talking about a definition or characteristics of spiritual community. The first thing that he says is, you know what? Spiritual community, it's not at all designed to be convenient. Spiritual community is not designed with convenience in mind. It's not designed with your convenience in mind. The first characteristic is that by divine design, it is not convenient. It is comprised of people who are different. People who are not like you, not like me. See, the problem is, church would be so much easier if everyone was the same, wouldn't it? But we aren't. Each of us is at different places in our spiritual journey. Each of us have unique cultural and personal histories. Each of us have unique family histories and experiences. Each of us have different, uh, some of you have different denominational backgrounds and experiences, different generational perspectives, different musical tastes, diverse learning styles, different family compositions. We all have different children's nap times, different temperaments, different ways of praying, different ways of experiencing groups of people, introversion and extroversion. And the list goes on and on and on. And all of these differences make life together in community complicated because they're just inconvenient. Or that's one way of thinking about it. You see, we can think that if they were all eliminated, that church would be easy and community would be easy. But part of the reason that it isn't easy is that we are called to exercise consideration and grace for those around us. See, Paul says spiritual community actually comes with an obligation to bear with those around us, the faults and the failings of other people. Paul says we are not just to live to make it all about ourselves and to please ourselves. We need to be sensitized to the feelings and experiences of others around us. See, but this also creates a bit of a challenge because I don't know if you're like me, I like it when people bear with my faults and failings, but it's much harder for me to bear with the faults and failings of other people. See, this to me is a little bit like my observation of grocery shopping before I had kids and after I had kids. See, before I had kids, I would go into the grocery store and I would look at some child having a meltdown in the produce section and I would think to myself, those parents are horrible parents if they could get it together and just parent more effectively, this would not happen in public. After I had kids and I would see a child melting down in the produce aisle, I would think to myself, that child is a horrible child. If they could only be more respectful of their parents in public, that would be so much more wise and helpful. You see, your perspective on what you expect and what you want from other people can shift in different times. I want people to think the best of my intentions, but sometimes I'm not really willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt. We want other people to give us grace, but we're not as sensitive to the weaknesses of other people around us. 
Paul says this particularly of his expectation of people who have been people of faith, who've been Christians, who follow Jesus for a long period of time. Maturity comes with a set of responsibilities, and one of those is the obligation to bear with the faults and failings of others. I love the way that the message translation puts this verse. It says this, strength is for service, not for status. Maturity comes with responsibility, and spiritual maturity comes with responsibilities. Spiritual maturity in community comes with a responsibility for us to understand that we're not part of community because strictly of what it does for us. We're part of community because of what we can contribute to others. And often that comes with a cost, and the cost is personal convenience. It often means we have to give something up for those around us. We have to be, put ourselves um, in a place of risk and vulnerability in order to live in community. And so that's challenging for us because a lot of times we're, we're not willing to give things up in order to live in community. So what are you willing to give up for those around you? Authentic community is never easy. It always comes with a cost. And that cost is maybe that you'll be let down and disappointed. Some of you have felt let down by others in community, and that's created a, a hurt in your heart that you're unwilling to risk again. Some of you have been let down by others here at Jericho. Some of you have been let down by me. None of us is perfect. Each of us is working through our own stuff, but authentic community comes with a cost, and there's a risk involved. But it's better than the alternative, and that is a plasticky, inauthentic community. But there is a price to pay for authentic community. Make no mistake about it. Community is not easy, but it is worth it. It's not easy, but it is worth it. And that's not just a one-time decision that you have to make. You have to actually get up in the morning, get up on Sunday, make that decision every day. It's not easy, but it's worth it. I'll repeat that every day. So that's the first characteristic of spiritual community. It's not designed to be convenient or easy. The second characteristic that we see in Romans 15 is that by its very design, that it has a goal, it has a purpose. And the goal or purpose of spiritual community is our edification. Edification is a Bible buzzword for growth and development as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. The goal of community is edification, not comfort. Because Paul says that part of our work in community is to help others do what is right, verse 2, and build them up in the Lord, build them up in their faith. And this is just hard work. Partially it's hard work because it means that there's parts of my life that need edification. It's It's hard work because it means that there's parts of my life that are out of alignment and need to be grown and built up. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always warm to that kind of impact, input and feedback in my life. I mean, we all love it when our spouse or our boss or a parent or somebody around us tells us how great of a job that we're doing and lists all the wonderful and helpful things that we are of who we are. But we're sometimes less responsive when they say, you need to improve in this area and that area. We're not always keen to receive that feedback. It's kind of human nature to tell others to do what's right, but not all of us excited to hear about when maybe we're in the wrong. 
And part of the deep challenge in community is that the goal of community is to edify each other, but the goal then has to be, there has to be a way in which we go about edifying each other, to build each other up in ways that are appropriate. And this is really hard work too. Because it's just something that we're not great at. I'm not great at it. I think one of the things for me in this season of life that's been really a challenge in one of my great sorrows personally is that I've not modeled this well in this season of life. I don't always receive criticism well. Some people have desired to build me up and I can interpret that sometimes as personal attack. Some people have desired to speak edification into the life of Jericho and people around them have become defensive or even aggressive in a desire to protect. And this is where the modifier in spiritual community I think is superior to the phrase authentic community. Because in authentic community, all that matters is you're being authentic. But in spiritual community, it actually means I have to ask the question, will this edify my brother or my sister? Not just in what I say, but in the way that I say it, where and how that I say it. And this is why helping build each other up in the Lord, in community, is just plain hard work. Because it actually brings about conflict by its very nature. Because you're gonna look in somebody's eyes and say to them, friend, I think this is a growth area for you. Whether that's in a small group, whether that's in relationships that you have. So there has to be uh, an environment created that has a few components that will allow this to happen in a functional way. One of them is a culture of transparency. That came up when we used the word authentic. A culture of transparency means we're open and honest with each other about our strengths as well as our weak areas. And we don't use what we know about a person's weak area to wound them. But it also requires a culture of grit. And let me show you what I mean by a culture of grit. You see, I have one of these little uh, mouse sanders. I got it with my points at a grocery store one time. I didn't know what else to do with them. So, um, you know, you can, I have a couple of uh, attachments for this thing. So one of them, this is like a spongy type attachment. And this apparently, I don't know, I have really no idea what you use it for. You can see I've never used it. So I, I'm sure you could use it to like clean your bathtub if you wanted to. So you put it on and it does absolutely nothing because there's no grit there. Like there's nothing, it's just smooth, and if I need to take off a rough edge on anything, this will not do it. It doesn't matter how hard I push, it doesn't matter how long I use it, it's completely useless for that. Now, if I switch it out for sandpaper that has some real grit to it, now that's gonna take something off. That's gonna actually work and smooth off some of those rough edges that we have. So, Edification means that we want to help each other grow, but it means we have to have a culture of transparency, which means we actually want to grow, 
And that we have to have a culture of grit that actually means that there's something to that relationship, something to the community that will actually help us push into those areas in each other's lives that need some smoothing and some sanding in a way that's meaningful and that's honoring to the person to speak the truth in love for their growth. And this is just part of the hard work of being a community together because it calls us to places and actions that are not comfortable. But see, the goal of Christian community and the goal of discipleship is not ultimately about your comfort or my comfort. The goal of discipleship, when Jesus said a follow me call to the disciples, he was calling them to self-denial. He was calling them to give away and use their resources and their possessions for people who are poor. He was calling us to use our time to serve and bless and love others. This is why churches designed by focus groups never work. It's a lowest common denominator. I love the way lifelong pastor Eugene Peterson puts this in his memoir. It's a book called The Pastor. And he says this, the minute churches and pastors start saying, what do people want? and then delivering it to them, we betray our calling as a community. We are called to help people follow Jesus. We are called to help people learn how to forgive their enemies. This is hard work. This is not easy. This requires grit. But the long-term payoff of living in a community and sticking with those processes is that you can actually begin to see real and meaningful change come into your life as a disciple. In my challenge group, I asked on Friday morning a bit of a dangerous question. Have I changed at all over the past year? Like we get together every couple of weeks and we push in each other, and we really get into those places in each other's lives. Is it actually being effective and working? Do you see anything different in me? And I held my breath because there was quite a long pause at the other side of the table. And then we asked each other that question. Do you see that in me? Are there areas that you can see that God has done something in my life and developed me in some way. And we pushed into specifics in that. See, when you commit yourself to community, you're going to get some of the rough edges knocked off of you. And this will hurt. And this will take time. And so if you're part of a spiritual community, you want to ask yourself, how am I helping to build people up around me? Not just a question of what actions am I taking, but what's the tone or spirit in which I carry myself in the community? What's the tone and spirit in which I speak to others in the community? As we build each other up in the Lord, something beautiful happens. We mutually edify each other. Community begins to develop. A community that's not only deeply inconvenient, that's growth-oriented, but one that has a third characteristic. It's imperfect. And it is woefully messy. Romans 15, verses 3, says, Even Christ didn't live to please himself. The insults of those who insult you, God, have fallen on me. Such things are written in the scripture long ago to teach us that 
scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And you say, well, Brad, that verse says we have hope and encouragement. So, so far you've basically said the church is inconvenient and it'll be personally challenging. And now you're saying it will be messy. How is that hopeful and encouraging in any way, shape or form? I'm supposed to want to be a part of a community like this? That doesn't sound like fun. But here's the tension that we live in with. See, it can be easy for us to look into the pages of Scripture and look at the early church and idealize it and think to ourselves, oh, look at that in the book of Acts. Look at the, the depth of pour, outpouring of community that they had in the early church. I mean, they had it going on. I mean, how awesome would it have been to worship with them? That would have been great. Surely if we could return to that first century ideal for the church, we could solve all the challenges and woes of the modern church. Well, that would be naive. The church has always been messy and imperfect because though it's a divinely designed and beautifully orchestrated institution, as soon as you and I get involved in it, as soon as we bring our imperfections and humanity to the table, we mess things up. And we talked about that in our series, Messy Church, earlier in the spring. And you can go and uh, listen to that on our website if you like. But part of the challenge, too, is not just looking backwards, but also casting our eyes forward. We're called to patient endurance. Why? Because we're living in a time between times. We're living in the, between the time when the church was inaugurated by the person and work of Jesus. When Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we're living in the time now where the church has not yet been presented to Christ as a pure and spotless bride. So we live in this time between the time when God has made his promise and between the time when his promise is fulfilled. God's promises and his purposes are not fully fulfilled in our world. And that's where it gets messy. Because that's where we actually have to wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. We can look into the New Testament and see this glorious picture in the book of Revelation of people from every tribe and nation and tongue worshiping together in unity around the throne. And there's a danger that we can fall into because then we think to ourselves, well, why isn't that happening right now? Scott McKnight in his book, uh, Kingdom Conspiracy, returning to the radical mission of the local church, says that we get into trouble when we compare and contrast the future kingdom of God as he describes it to us in the New Testament and the church now. It's a danger zone. Because the challenge is that God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, his promises and his purposes will be fully realized. We'll have perfect harmony with Jesus and with each other. Restored relationship with God, with our world, with creation, but until then, we live in a fallen world. And so when we compare this future ideal that's painted for us with the present reality, it can also be really easy to get discouraged. But that's why Paul says, hey, we need to look to the scriptures for hope 
and encouragement, reminding ourselves that the people whom God called and worked with through history have never been perfect and had it all together. The early church didn't have it all together. Look at the list of problems that they had. I mean, way worse problems than most contemporary churches have. They fought and bickered over all kinds of stuff. And he goes on and on in Romans 15 here about the divides between Jews and Gentiles, reminding the Jews again and again, hey, listen, you have to make space and incorporate those Gentiles into your community here. You have to work at getting along beyond the cultural, religious, historical differences. And Paul spends a huge chunk of time in Romans 15 talking about why they should be invited to the table. Because the problem is, we want the ideal. But what we always have in front of us is the real. And it's super easy to lose patience with the real. We want the perfect church. I want the perfect church. So I don't have patience with the present church sometimes. But Paul says, you need to wait patiently. You need to wait patiently. The promises of God will one day be fulfilled, but today is not that day. Today is the day to acknowledge, like that bumper sticker that we used to see around, please be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. And so the question that I have for you and for me is, how patient are we? How patient am I? How patient am I with myself? How patient am I with other people around me in a messy community? How patient am I with God? Scripture reminds us, God's not slow. He hasn't forgotten his promises. It's not going to happen instantly. Sometimes you just have to be patient because patience is a virtue. You're being patient because there's more characteristics that still need to be developed in your life and in mine and in our community. So Paul says not only should we expect spiritual community to be inconvenient, not only should we expect it to be rough as we grow, not only should we expect it to be imperfect and woefully messy, but surprisingly, in the midst of this, it's also to be characterized by harmony and by unity. Paul says in, first, uh, in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, let us aim for harmony and unity in the church. Let's try to build each other up. And here again in chapter 15, verse 5, he says, may God, who gives you this patient endurance, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting or as is expected for followers of Jesus Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by complete harmony? Well, if it's messy and inconvenient and we're going to build each other up, he can't mean uniformity, that we're all the same. And here's where the church is so radically different from so many other groups that gather in our culture. Because think about different groups in our culture. The organizing principle of most groups in our culture is similarity. Unity that's built on sameness. Think about like a country club or a golf club or a yacht club. It's built around sameness, sharing socioeconomic similarities, and therefore we have unity. Even neighborhoods are organized largely around this. But see, the church is actually called to something radically different. And to witness and bear witness to the world in a different way. We're told in our culture, if you don't agree with someone, you should go and find those who you do agree with and hang out with them. And that takes no work whatsoever, does it? If I only hang out with people who look like me, pray like me, think like me, act like me, that's uniformity. That's not actual unity. 
And the challenge is, uniformity brings God no glory whatsoever. Because the world can look at a faith community that's made up of people entirely comprised of people who agree and think like about everything, and they can look in and easily say, well, you don't need any supernatural resources to get along. You all think alike, act alike, dress alike anyways. That's not hard to do. I don't need God to help me think like everybody else in my little tribe. But this is where Paul says, when a diverse group of individuals gets together and lifts up the name of Jesus with one voice and one mind and one heart, despite all of their differences, that is not natural, friends. That's supernatural. Because there's no way that such human diversity should experience harmony and unity together. Seth Godin, a sociologist and researcher and author, suggests that we live in our day and time in an increasingly tribalized culture. And he doesn't mean tribal in the sense of sort of uh, African tribalism. He means it in the sense of we're very quickly to find our tribe, people who agree with us, who already agree with us or that we have something in common with already, and organize around that principle. That's often what draws people actually to a church. And there was a whole set of research done in the 70s and 80s called the homogeneous homogeneous unit principle, saying you should make your church as similar as you could, and that way you'll get more of those similar people to it. But the challenge with that is that spiritual community is not just about people who are like me church isn't supposed to be a tribal culture. We're actually supposed to be a table culture. A culture where we can eat with those and share a meal with those who believe different things. Neighbors in our home who think differently, who parent differently, who have different religious backgrounds than us. Different opinions. And friends, This is something I want to say to you at Jericho. When I look at Jericho, I see wonderful glimmers of this. Some of you think about finances totally differently, and you're still friends. Some of you have vastly different opinions on theological issues, role of men and women, modes of baptism, all kinds of things, and you still come together. Some of you have different pictures of what it looks like to gather in a small group and you still work it out. You bring meals to people who are totally different than you in different life stages. You're doing the hard work of making room at the table. And when this is happening, and when we do it in small ways, it begins to take root. What are the everyday choices that you can make that will express a table culture versus a tribal culture? In other words, how are you demonstrating radical acceptance to people around you. This is why one of the metaphors in the New Testament for church is the metaphor of family. See, in a family, in my family, I don't know about yours, we do not all think alike about things. We disagree. We fight. We argue. We have vastly different opinions. And then at Thanksgiving, we still get together for those who live around and we still actually eat together, even despite our vast differences. 
We don't minimize the differences, but we're willing to stay in relationship with each other and work hard to understand and be understood. And friends, that kind of work brings God much glory. The reason that it brings him glory is because that's the work that he did in, for us in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 15, verse 7. It says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will receive and be given much glory. See, friends, a table culture ultimately expresses itself at the communion table because the most exciting and radical news of all is that you didn't have to get it all together and clean your life up before God accepted you in Christ Jesus when you bowed your knee and confessed that Jesus is Lord. Christ loved and accepted us not because we had it all together, but because we were sinners without God and without hope. And so we accept each other as an expression of the acceptance that was offered to us in Christ Jesus. And friend, that might be you here today. You might have never actually opened your life to receive and accept the radical love of Jesus. You might have never said yes to him. You might have gone through your whole life thinking to yourself, if I could only get my act together just a little bit more, God would love me. But friend, the good news of a table culture is that you will never be perfect but there was one who was perfect. Jesus lived the perfect life. He took all of your sin and shame on himself and all of your imperfections and guilt to the cross. And God raised him from the dead and now you can put your full hope and confidence and trust in him and in his goodness and perfection, not your own goodness or efforts. And if that's you today, friend, then I want to invite you to come and pray with our team before you leave because God wants to give you the greatest gift of acceptance of all new life today in him. Sometimes we think to ourselves, if you've been around church for a little while, yeah, yeah, that's the way that people come into God's family. I get that. I understand that. But, you know, once you're a part of God's family, is there a different attitude? And I would say, no, the way in is the way on. We enter into a community of faith by trust and confidence in Jesus, and we continue in the community of faith by trust and and confidence in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That's the way we live out community day by day. Romans 15, 13 says this, it's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through you and I that draws us together in community and in unity. The community of faith is not a human constructed institution or organization. It's a spirit built enterprise. And so that's the fifth and final characteristic of the community. The Spirit builds it, and we choose to enter it. The strength that we live in, in spiritual community, is as a result of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because let me just be frank with you, I do not have the resources to love all of you guys sufficiently on my own. You don't have the resources necessary on your own human strength to love everybody that's a part of this community. We need the God of hope to fill us with joy and to fill us with peace and patience 
for others around us. And we can't just manufacture and keep manufacturing those things on our own. And the church's role is certainly not to manufacture those things in 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. The foundation of spiritual community is not striving and working harder at it. The foundation of spiritual community is humility and simply receiving that which has already been created and we have been invited into. Life in the Spirit. Our call as people in a spiritual community is to invite an ever-present, daily, growing and increasing filling of the Spirit in each of our lives to take a posture of humility and openness and saying, Jesus, I need today to depend deeply on you yet again. Because depending on the work of the Spirit to take us into those places, takes us far outside of our comfort zone, takes us beyond the realm of needing to have everything mapped out and together, and takes us into the realm of mystery. And depending on Jesus, there's a mystery to the way in which God wants to work in this community. That no matter how hard we work at it as a leadership team and organize things, God, by his Spirit, has purposes and plans that he wants to unveil and live out here that are mysterious. And that gives me profound hope because the goal then isn't for us to always make everything as unmessy as we can and just tidy it all up so we can agree on everything. It will always be messy. The call is to deeply depend on him as we walk out that mystery. And so the challenge is, do we actually trust? Do we trust each other? And do we trust God that he is at work building his church? Is it the work of the Spirit as he builds it and we choose to enter it? Because friends, that's why I'm a pastor. That's why I love about the role that God's placed me in in this community. That's why I believe in this imperfect and messy and hard work thing called the church because I get excited when I see others walking towards transformed kingdom living. When I think of the part that each of us gets to play of inviting God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, not only here in this community, but in places around the globe that we get the privilege of being involved in, like Guatemala or a house of hope or in your neighborhood or in your workplace, that's what fires me up. It's not about, I don't get fired up about programs or about thinking creatively about or strategically. I get excited about what is it going to look like for us to live together in this community that sees lives transformed and changed, beginning with our own lives and then flowing out of that into our world that they can see confident hope. And I think it's so easy for us to lose sight of what God's heart is for his church. When God looks at his church, When God looks at Jericho Ridge, he's proud of you. Not because we're perfect. Not because we have it all together. But because we're open to the messiness and walking it out in hope. He's proud of his church. He's building his church for the glory of his name and it will always be inconvenient. It will always be challenging It will always be messy, but it will also always be the place where you and I have the chance, if we so choose, to experience the joy 
and the power and life together in community and in the spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today not on our own strength. We come only because of Jesus and what you've done for us. We come with deep humility, acknowledging our need of you. We come, Father, to yet again acknowledge that you are Lord of your church, that you are building your church. And that you have called us to engage and participate in this glorious mess. And we confess and acknowledge to you that we just don't know always how to do that well. But we want you to teach us. We don't always love each other well, but we want you to grow that part of our lives and our hearts. And so Jesus in this place today and in our lives and in your church, we simply say yet again, would you be glorified? Would you be exalted? It's not about us, it's about you. And so Father, we want to be ready to respond to your call and to your work in this world through your church. So teach us, Holy Spirit, what that means and looks like for each one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We say, amen. Amen. Well, friends, the uh, team is gonna come, and I know we've gone long, and so if you wanna pick up your kids and uh, head to other engagements that you have for the day, we'd invite you, please, to feel very free to do that. If you wanna continue in a spirit of worship, the team's gonna lead us in two songs that declare yet again our intention as a community to walk under the humility and under the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. Curtis and Amory and myself will be available for prayer if you wanna come, if there's anything going on in your life that you feel uh, that you'd like to share with. We're here to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, and so again, go in God's grace and God's peace. If you'd like to stay in worship, ask God to continue to work in your life. You'd be welcome and free to do that.